welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register on the iRelaunch job board because that is where employers are coming specifically to recruit and hire people who have career breaks and are returning. So make sure you um, uh, take a look at that on iRelaunch.com. All right, on to our conversation today. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Susan Golden, a relauncher who is now the director of DCIX at the Stanford Distinguished Careers Institute and an adjunct professor. She leads the DCIX Longevity Innovation Special Interest Group focused on creating innovations and new business opportunities for longevity and healthy aging. And she serves as a lead mentor to the Techstars Future of Longevity Accelerator. Susan is also the author of Stage Not Age, How to Understand and Serve People Over 60, which focuses on the business opportunities and strategies to support longevity and healthy aging using stage and not a person's age. In today's episode, we're going to speak with Susan about her relaunch and her work reducing the stigma about older workers. Susan, welcome to 321 I Relaunch. Thank you, Carol, so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and thank you for spending the time. Um, can you start by telling our audience a little bit about your your background, your career path, um, what you did uh, before your career break, and then what prompted you to step away from the workforce? I will. Um, so the last position I had before I took my career break, I was a partner in a venture capital firm, Schroeder Ventures. I ran the West Coast office. Um, There were offices in New York where I started out as well as in London. Prior to that, I had worked at Genentech, uh, a biotechnology company. I started there when it was still relatively small. Now it's incredibly large and successful and exciting. And prior to that, I was in academia. I was uh, an assistant professor at a medical school uh, teaching epidemiology and public health. I have a doctorate in public health. Um, And so when I took my career break, um, it was initially to take care of, I had just had a baby, my second one, and wanted to spend more time with my children than I was able to. Venture capital at that time involved an awful lot of travel, wasn't able to do that during my pregnancy for different reasons, and thought, let me just enjoy this gift that I have of, of spending time with my young children. And initially, I thought it would be like many women do for a few years till the youngest goes off to school. Mm-hmm. But during that time, I had a widowed elderly mother who started declining. I had once taken a three-week um, unpaid leave of absence from my venture firm right before my wedding when my mother had quadruple bypass surgery. And I flew out to California to take care of her for a few weeks. And I thought, you know, she's declining. I really want to spend the time helping to care for her. And unbeknownst to me, my mother was going to have lifespan, but not health span, which means she was in and out of the hospital lots of times, up to 20 times in the last few years of her life. Um, But she lived to 91. So the gift was that we had a lot of time with her and I had a lot of time with her and she got to know my children. But after that ended, I really reflected on, wow, I speak English. I have a doctorate in healthcare from Harvard University 
and I could not navigate the U.S. healthcare system for my mother. Mm. And if it's like that for me, what's it like for other people? And that got me really motivated. I wanted to fix this for families in the U.S. And that led to uh, a number of things that became part of my relaunch. Wow. Okay. So quite a journey. Um, and I wanted to ask you, how did you know when it was the right time to relaunch? But it sounds like there was a gradual process that went, went on there. And I want to know if you could maybe walk us through that when you had that realization about wanting to fix the, the, the system or access um, uh, until you would actually characterize that it was that you had relaunched. What, like what was happening there? So after my mother passed um, and my youngest was in high school, I started taking a number of steps to think about what could I do next? How could I, that was a passion project. How could I fix the elder care system? Could I go back to venture capital? Everybody said in Silicon Valley, you're going to be considered too old because in Silicon Valley, you're old at 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, it's not, not, not going to happen. And so what I started doing was taking, um, attending conferences that I hadn't had the time to, uh, attend in the years that I was caregiving. I never called myself a caregiver. I was being a daughter or a mother. Um, mm-hmm. but now I call it the caregiving stage, which we can talk about later. Um, and I started going to conferences and I joined a group in, uh, in Silicon Valley called Silicon Valley Social Venture Fund which was started by Laura Andreessen Aralaga. And it's a great concept. It's the venture capital approach to philanthropy. And it's not a huge philanthropy individually. Everybody puts in a small amount of money and we collectively invest it in either nonprofits or for-profits um, that are have a social impact mission. And there I learned so much because it was affiliated with Stanford and they had amazing guest speakers. And my mind was just firing up like, yes, this combines a lot of, you know, I love VC, I love social impact, and I love learning. And it was just Mm -hmm. at that time when I was in that program, and I became a partner there, they called it a partnership, I was part of it for three years while my youngest was still in school. So I wanted to be around um, to enjoy all that. And what happened was I heard about a new program that was starting at Stanford called the Distinguished Careers Institute. And the program was started by the former dean of the medical school, Phil Pizzo, as he was finishing his 12 years of being a dean, thinking about what did he want to do next? And Mm -hmm. he thought about getting a PhD in history, which was one of his passions. And he thought, well, if I'm thinking about what to do next, there must be other people at my stage and age of life who are thinking about what to do next. And so he started this program. And I had this good fortune to be accepted into the second class. And in this program, you can take any course anywhere at Stanford University, and you don't have to take the exams. So how fun is that? Going back to college, basically, in grad school, but just there to learn. And it was the most amazing, extraordinary, lifelong learning experience. And I highly recommend to everybody listening that they find some program like that. There are many now that have been modeled um, off of the DCI program at Stanford. Harvard started the first one called Advanced Leadership Institute. And there are now many programs in many universities that some are three months long, some are hybrid, some are all virtual, where you are part of a community of learners, your stage, not necessarily your age. And that was inspired some of the work I'm doing now because I looked around in my group and people were anywhere between 50 to 75, 80, but we were all in the same stage of life rethinking what we wanted to do, relaunching, redefining our purposes. And it was 
the most invigorating um, concept of being on campus with younger students, older students, and in the classroom, Stanford is very project oriented. So you had to interact with the students. And I learned as much from them but the, as they learned from me. And um, through that, I started a couple of mentoring initiatives for the DCI program. Um, so it's just been a, a catalyst for growth and engagement. And I call it a drug because it does reset who you are. You're not, you're not defined by your age, but what stage of life. And these students and I were at the very same stage. And my youngest daughter was in college as a freshman when I went off to be a freshman at Stanford the first quarter. And we would have many wonderful conversations about me complaining how much homework I had, how much reading. And she would say to me, Mom, don't you know nobody does all the reading? And I said, but I want to do all the reading. And it was those kind of dialogues that went on that was just just priceless between us. And then I got to know so many of the students, which was, uh, to this day, the gift of being at the DCI program. Well, there's a lot there. Um, I love this concept. Uh, I, I know this will get more into this, but this idea of stage that that you're they're all people are this wide range of ages, but they're all the same stage. And I know that a lot of your work has, has expanded based on that concept. Uh, but what year was this? 2016. That that you started the DCI program. DCI program. Okay, got it. Um. So what happens, so, so you're in the course, you're also in this cohort, and you're having conversations and everyone is brainstorming or, or like, what's the structure around figuring out your next step? So you, t- you at, at the DCI program, you can take as many courses as you want. I traditionally took three to four a, a quarter. Some people in my program were taking 10. I mean, they were just, you know, it was like being a kid in a candy store. And then they were a colloquium that they're special to the DCI fellows. So you get to know an amazing faculty. Um, but one day I sent out an email to my cohort. I got very excited about the concept of longevity, which is a core component of the, the concept of the DCI program. You're living longer. Uh, we, should met, we should talk about that. People are having lifespan increase as my mother did. She lived to be 91. She just didn't have health span. But children born today, my children should expect to live to 100. Any of us who reach 65 in good health without serious illness have today have more than a 50% chance living into their 90s. Um, So this is a game changer uh, because when I was a teenager, my father died, but his average life expectancy was 64 and he died at 64. That's why we have Medicare and Social Security all tied around 65 because that was life expectancy. What I didn't know and what I learned at Stanford, which was extraordinary, is there's this gift. Most people are going to have an extra 30 years of lifespan. And there's a whole industry trying to extend it well well past 100 to 125 to 150. But what I got excited about is how what are going to be all the innovations that are going to be needed to support healthy aging and longevity? Like I look back at my my experience with my mother, I wish I would have known what I know today to help support mm-hmm. her caregiving needs. I could have done so many things differently. And then I found out this is now considered an industry. The longevity economy is a concept that is valued today at $8.6 trillion in the U.S. alone, growing to $22 trillion, And it's happening worldwide. People are living longer. You could see it in France as they're trying to increase the retirement age. Um, we, we have a very different paradigm now than what we used to understand, which was you learn, then you earn, and then you retire. And retirement was set at 60 
to 65 because of life expectancy. Well, if you shouldn't retire if you have another 30 years to go, you might want to do something different. You might want to transition out of the work that you had done or you had a career break and you want to come back and relaunch. And I think career breaks are going to become extremely common in the 100-year life. Everybody is going to take a career break. Everybody's going to take it either for rejuvenation, for repurposing, for caregiving, and you're going to need help like what iRelaunch offers in helping you transition. Um, I was fortunate enough to take the iRelaunch program when I was doing my uh, fellowship uh, years, and it was instrumental because it gave me the concept of having a returnship. Try something out that you might want to do. So the summer of my fellowship year, and there wasn't that much offering in summer school, I wanted to do, I wanted to try something out. Um, and so I, I, I joined an organization called Aging 2.0 that was doing a lot of activity around innovations for aging and got a sense that, wow, this is a, there's conferences on this subject, there's an industry on it. And so I sent out an, uh, an email one day, to, as I started to say to my cohort, and say, anybody want to meet for breakfast and talk about innovations for longevity? And mm -hmm. over half my class showed up. Mm -hmm. And we started looking around the table. And we had doctors and lawyers and VC. And we all had been through some sort of caregiving experience that we felt very sad about, that you know we just didn't know what we were doing, yet we were capable. Um, and we wanted to create innovations for caregiving. We wanted to create innovations for education and financial planning. And almost every consumer-facing industry is going to be impacted by longevity, the concept that people are living much longer lives, and how do we support health span and healthy aging. And that just blossomed into all sorts of other things that I could not have anticipated, that I am thrilled to be part of, and that just feels so purposeful at this stage of my life. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of when Sheryl Sandberg said she used to have a five-year plan all the time. And then when she didn't have one is when she ended up going to, to work for Google. And it sounded, because the internet hadn't even been in, in, I don't want to say maybe invented, but like certainly uh, what it was a few years after she started. And I'm almost hearing that from you. It's like, this is a brand new area. It is. And you got introduced to it um, without even knowing it existed. And now it's central to, to what you're doing. And it's still a nascent industry. I mean, there are many companies that I'm involved with that are addressing the needs of, of, an, of longevity and healthy aging and caregiving. But I didn't realize how it's blossomed. Just in, I look back now in the last five years alone, this has really grown. I'm involved with accelerators now that focus solely on innovations for caregiving, um, supported by Techstars and Pivotal Ventures, um, involved in a number of uh, other mentoring initiatives for innovation groups on, at Stanford that accelerators, Cardinal Ventures, and many others. The Stanford Center on Longevity has an annual design challenge and have been involved in mentoring and judging those groups. And it's a blossoming industry. I really encourage people who are what I want to call um, sidepreneurs or olderpreneurs. These are some new terms that are out there. Um, who are thinking about what to do next, think about innovations to support healthy aging and longevity. You will know it better than anybody what the needs are and um, join a, an, an accelerator or find a young person to partner with if you're older. But mixed generation teams are going to do so much better going forward. And that's what we do at Stanford now. We have mixed generations teams working on innovations, which is really, really exciting. Well, you know, I have to say, 
thanks to you, I participated in a panel um, that you moderated at the Century Summit uh, that was run at, at Stanford. And it's a whole conference around the 100 year life. And, and I, those conversations that we were having um, started a, a, a lot of thought, my thought process about the 60 year career. And as you're saying, unlikely you're gonna work 60 years without stopping. So career breaks are gonna be part of that. And is there a ultimately going to be a recommended number of career breaks or how long you take them? And, you know, some of them are um, you take them just because of your life, life stage for childcare, or elder care, or maybe it's your own health issue. You know, sometimes it's other factors. Maybe you're a trailing spouse or partner um, with someone with an overseas assignment um, uh, or uh, maybe you're in the military yourself and you're taking a career break after that. So they're both types of reasons in there. Um, but this idea that the the employers that have formal career reentry programs and who have perfected their model are going to be in the best position as people are coming in and out of organizations, hopefully in and out of their organization, if they um, are supporting people um, in, in a constructive way as they make these transitions. So. Um, you can just let your mind run wild over that, but I think where, where you are right now is, is a very thought-provoking area. So, And we don't know how many career breaks. There's no formula to it yet because we haven't really experienced this. But for the first time, career breaks are being valued and acknowledged. And I'm very excited to share with your audience that this past year, as you well know, and you wrote about this, LinkedIn now enables you on your career profile to indicate career break. And you can designate whether it was for rejuvenation, uh, learning, or caregiving. And that values you even when you're on career break. You don't lose your talent and your skills. You may not be as current on some of you know, the latest information or technology, but you're capable and, you, and you're valued for what you're doing in your caregiving years or in your rejuvenation years. Um, and then you're, you come back and you fulfill a need in these workforces. We have shortages. And one of the great things that did come out of COVID is the word flexibility. Everybody wanted flexibility in their work-life integration um, and that's true if you're younger, if you're older, um, and an older workforce who has maybe taken a, a career break comes back, can fulfill and, and partner with companies to meet their needs. And they have a, a historical memory, institutional knowledge. Um, it, they can be very much value add. Uh, what we need to do is address the myths about older workers and ageism that is out there. I've written about this, published an article in it about it last year at H and HBR as well. Um, but it, we can fix that. I think with, you know, modeling all the wonderful people who are in their eighties and nineties contributing further. Um, in fact, I called uh, the last chapter of my book furtherhood um, because it's not the end, you know, we're not all just in our third act and that's it. We could have fourths and fifths and sixths. And um, I'm always excited to tell that the person who started DCI when he, um, moved on to a yet another career from having been dean of the medical school and director for 12 years of the DCI program, he decided to start a whole new career at age 77. Mm. And that's exciting to, to watch. Uh, watching Anthony Fauci um, start 
you know, saying, I'm not retiring, you know, he's going on to an- another stage. And one of my most exciting examples is Serena Williams. She said, I'm not retiring, I'm evolving. So she mm-hmm. created a new stage, um, mm-hmm. you know, the evolution stage, and everybody is going to go through that. Yeah. Um, you know, Susan, I want to get back to your actual relaunch. So you went through this program. You um, During that, you um, put out that email and half the people showed up to the conversation about innovations and long- longevity. Um, what happened? Like, how did you actually relaunch your career into a professional or paid role? Yeah. So program? I, I um, a lot of my, the people in my cohort stayed on at Stanford as what they called a continuing fellow to take more courses. But I wanted to start doing mm-hmm. um, you can take courses forever and they're wonderful and, you know, make sure you have brain candy every day. But um, the Center on Longevity was looking at and doing a ton of research about how do you plan for a hundred year life? And I kept thinking, why isn't the innovation and investment community investing in this? And I started talking to my VC friends and very few knew about longevity as a business opportunity, as an innovation opportunity. They all thought about, oh, the senior housing and fall prevention and medication management. And I'm not interested in that. And I said, no, 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 not everybody's going to be frail, elderly and declining the minute they hit 65. Your People need to plan for a hundred year life and then they're going to need innovations to support that from a fitness and wellness perspective, from a financial perspective. You're not going to have enough money if you retire at 65, if you're going to live to a hundred in a typical career um, and on and on and on. And so I was so fortunate. The Center on Longevity invited me to be a visiting scholar and I was mm-hmm. there where I started developing innovation programs in concert with the DCI program that I had been part of, and then um, came up with the idea that we really need to be teaching business school students about this because they're the future innovators. They're the future CEOs of companies that are going to have a five-generation workforce. And so I helped to co-develop a new course that's now offered at the business school at Stanford. We're in our fourth year of teaching it. Um, It's been oversubscribed every year. And we did profile cases, including um, I relaunch, and we were so glad you joined us. And we profiled different segments of 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 the, of the um, financial uh, industry and the corporate industry of like Merrill Lynch, who mm-hmm. redesigned their entire wealth management program around the fact that people are going to live 100 year lives. We profile a company called Cake as an example of end of life planning and all the things you need to do and many other uh, companies. And then I uh, work on the innovation side and getting the students involved in developing ideas for new products and services and, and intergenerational engagement. So it's a very robust field. And out of that came my the invitation from Harvard Business Review Press, if I would write a book um, on how companies are rethinking their longevity strategy, basically, and what's new in the innovation uh, side of this, which is just exploding right now, um, which I'm happy to see, but no, we, no shortage. We, we need more. 10,000 people are turning 65 every day and living much longer lives, and they're going to need support for transition for, to, for jobs, financial planning, but they're going to need that before that too. So this is uh, the need for multi-stage products, multi-generational products, um, that will support people in a hundred year life. And I can't think of anything more purposeful and more fascinating than helping people age well, but then also helping pe- care well for the people we love at the stage that they will need caregiving. And as Rosalind Carter 
um, is often quoted to say, everybody will be one, uh, one of four kinds of caregivers. And they'll either be, be a caregiver to somebody, are a caregiver to somebody, will need caregiving um, at some point. We're all going to be involved in it. And we do have a broken caregiving system in the U.S., which is what prompted my initial passion. So I'm really proud to say I work with the Techstars Future of Longevity Accelerator and Pivotal Ventures on their caregiving initiatives, which is really purposeful. I love hearing all of this. It's so uh, inspiring and and interesting. Uh, Susan, let's talk about your book, uh, okay. Stage Not Age. Can you, uh, so you were asked to write this book um, by Harvard Business Review or Harvard Business Publishing. Um, you um, tell us when it came out um, and a little bit about it, and maybe a little bit about the writing process. Okay. Uh, the, pub the book was published last June by Harvard Business Review Press. I had published an article uh, with Laura Carsonson in uh, 2018 or 19, I forget now, on um, profiling how Merrill Lynch had looked at um, their longevity strategy and that, that they set reset the life priorities for um, for their wealth management clients. And to me, that seemed like, yeah, they're, they're looking at stages that people are in. Are you an empty nester? Um, is this, uh, are you trying to uh, save for a home? You know, different stages. And I started looking at other companies and uh, the most successful companies that I saw um, in this area were looking at not the age of their um, customer. They weren't calling them elderly or seniors or defining them everybody as the same, that the minute you turn 60 or 65, you're all the same. You're all retirees. You're about to be frail, elderly and declining but they were looking at what were their needs at that stage. And uh, fitness and wellness companies were realizing that people across the lifespan were going to need that training for um, strength balance and, and core fitness. Mm -hmm. And then it was marketing in different ways. And I looked at a comp that company Cake, which we now brought into the um, course as a case, um, how they were helping people plan for advanced care and whether or not they had a serious illness. It might be pre-planning all the trusts and wills and documents you're going to need. Very few people um, have advanced directives. Um, very few people have thought about what kind of care they're going to want um, as, as an area. And then I looked at the whole housing industry. 90% of people do not want to go to senior communities, which is was the the thing you did at, you know, maybe just 10, 15 years ago, most people want to what they call age in place. Many call it thriving in place. Um, they don't want to be in an age segregated communities, but they may need support. They may need community. So think about every single field needs to rethink how are they going to develop a longevity strategy? And that's what the book is about. How do you look at people by what stage they are, but not what age and how do you market to them successfully? And how do you build products and services that meet their needs at that stage. And it could be multi-generations at that at the same stage. Lifelong learning, you can do that in your 20s, you can do that in your 50s, you could do it again in your 80s. And so how do you engage with these lifelong learning programs? How do you engage with a company like iRelaunch Launch at different points of your life when you're in transition? And that's what the book covers. It's trying to dispel the myth of treating everybody over 60 as the same. Um, mm -hmm. in one bucket and understanding where they are. Um, and I call that the most, I think the most interesting stage that people are in are is what I call the Renaissance stage. That's what I'm in. That's what everybody in the DCI program was in. And it's, and it could span a 30 year time frame. but instead of thinking of yourself as a retiree, 
think of yourself, you're, you're in your renaissance years and you can mm-hmm. rethink and, uh, what, and redefine your life priorities and be excited about this stage of life. You have to very much consider you know, your health span and prioritize that. Um, but it's such an exciting time instead of it being something of a declining period of your life. Susan, you're talking about so many different things that you're doing right now. How do you characterize that and how do you manage that? Uh, and maybe just go through these different roles and tell us how you how you look at it. Most people I know at this stage of life that I'm in have a portfolio and their portfolio can be a number of different um, activities that they consider part of their career. And some of it may be put some of their volunteer commitments and passion projects. And, um, and in my portfolio, there's always making time for my, my family, people, you know, what we call our core five, uh, core four, we're about to get a new member. So we're calling ourselves fab five, you know, our core group in our family for in our um, text, but um, you always have to make that an important part of your life. But I do a couple of different things, but many people post DCI and, and in this stage of life are doing, I'm doing some teaching, I'm doing some writing, I'm running the innovation uh, uh, impact initiatives for the DCIX program, I mentor, but none of them are full time. And, mm-hmm. and that's the key. Um, and that's what I wanted. And so it gives you some flexibility to do uh, different things. And as new opportunities come along, um, you can fit them in, and um, it's really an exciting time. I mean, there, there is. I don't feel like a retiree. I don't feel elderly. I don't feel senior. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm having some of the uh, best, most exciting periods of my life going on right now. Very fulfilling, and I love, really love working with the students. I think that's you know one of the most fulfilling things. Seeing them come up to me and say, "You've changed my life." Um, notes I get, um, seeing companies that have come out of the course. Um, and then the letters I'm getting from the book have really been really heartwarming, not only just from the corporate side, things like I never thought about, you know, I need a longevity strategy for my workforce and for our products, but individuals who are reading it saying, I just retired, I, I didn't know what to do, and your book has given me a way to rethink my own personal longevity strategy. So that's been really exciting to see. Well, I have to thank you because I'm a personal beneficiary out of out of the work that you, that um, you're doing at Stanford. And uh, we, as you mentioned, there's a case study about iRelaunch that's part of the longevity course. And I got to go in and speak to the classroom. I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of giving your message and uh, talking to a classroom full of young people. I don't know, maybe I should say a difference. It's, what stage that they're at and not characterize them um, age-wise, but students, current students, and have those conversations with them afterward. And it, it was really gratifying. I just got a little bit of a taste of, of what you're talking about, what you do. Um, and our challenge in the course is so much to cover now. We can't cover it all, you know, so um, we're, we're, you know, this it's just changing all the time. This is a, a nascent industry. It's a very exciting industry. Most most investors haven't caught on. It's growing. There are now a few dedicated venture funds that are solely focused on innovations for longevity and caregiving and older adults. And that's really exciting to see. And bringing in mixed age um, innovation teams is really exciting to see as well. Mm -hmm. So we're in a new period. Yeah, well, I can see you're you're helping to define or you're having a, a key role in defining this space 
creating that the new language that people are using um, when they're having these conversations. And we don't have the right language. I mean, I made up a lot of words in the book and, and I call it out. I'm making them up because we don't have the right language. We don't have a name. I go around all the time to my friends. What do you want to be called? And they'll say not senior, not elderly, not old. They don't mind older. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't have the right terminology to say, what is this extra 30 years that of rejuvenation that we're in or in, in renaissance? So um, I invite anybody who has a great idea to go out there and promote it. Right. Well, I can see you uh, leading the way and coming up uh, with, with the exact right name over time. Um, Susan, this has been such a great conversation. Uh, I want to know if we can end by uh, asking you the question we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? So I think the secret there to, a secret sauce to relaunching is uh, being a lifelong learner. Um, I could not have done what I am doing now um, had I not been fortunate enough to be part of the Distinguished Careers Institute. But there are many ways to get that um, lifelong learning. There were lots of webinars, conferences. So I started going to conferences, and as I told you, I joined SV2 um, in the years before I actually relaunched. Any way you can continue to learn and get current and get stimulated with new ideas and new information. And to the extent you can, be part of a group. It's hard to do this alone. I can't tell you how many webinars I've signed up for and I put it on my calendar and I forget. And then, you know, there's nobody else I'm doing it with, so I'm not accountable to them. But when you're a part of a program, you show up for the guest speaker. You mm-hmm. show up for the class. Um, so there, if you can be part of a group, and that's what I relaunch offered when I did it. Um, I looked around the room and there were lots of people like me. And you had this concept of returnships, which I hadn't heard before, um, plus all the fabulous information and support. But you were then part of a community. So finding a community, and there's lots of ways, there's continuing education programs throughout the United States. There's so much online right now, content that's fabulous and free. Um, But find a, a partner and an individual or a group of friends who'll do it with you or join a formal program. Um, but it really makes all the difference to be part of a lifelong learning community. And we were going to need lifelong learning in a hundred year life multiple times. I imagine I'm going to be going back to do something at some point again, when I need to learn more about AI or, you know, all the technology that's changing because things are moving fast. Um, but it's an exciting time. Well, that's great advice for our audience. I have one more question for you, Susan. Um, if people want to, um, learn more about Stage Not Age or buy the book, is there a website or somewhere that they can go to? There is. There's a website called stagenotage.com. And on it, it lists multiple places. You can buy the book through Harvard Business Review Press um, and uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And I can offer you a discount code to all your uh, relaunchers. And I'll send that your way so you can share that um, for anybody who buys the book through um, Harvard Business Review Press. That's wonderful. We'll share that. Thank you. Susan, thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. I always love being with you. Thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch. And I want to remind our listeners um, who are actively relaunching to be sure and register for the iRelaunch job board. Your employers are looking to hire people specifically who are returning to work after a career break. Thanks for joining us.